Hey, my name's Arun and welcome to another episode of my podcast. What you're about to listen to is a conversation I had with Kiran, who is a doctor in the UK, a comedian and growing YouTuber. In this episode, we cover his journey to becoming these three things and some of the hurdles he's overcome to create his best work. If you found this interesting, please do leave a nice review for this podcast as it'll really help these meaningful stories reach more people. Thank you and I hope you enjoyed this episode. So to just start off, because I, well, this is kind of the first time that we're talking, so I kind of want to get to know a little bit more about you. So tell mm-hmm. me, what is your name? So my name is Kieran Majaria. And what do you do? I am a junior doctor. I'm a YouTuber and also a comedian. So what is a junior doctor for anyone who doesn't know? What, what does that mean? So junior doctor is, is anyone that has basically graduated from medical school all the way up to until they've finished their complete training. So if you're in medicine, that's a medical consultant. So to get from the point where you finish med school to being a consultant can take like 10 years plus. So anyone in that sort of bracket is a junior doctor. Okay. And how many years in since medical school or when did you graduate medical school? So I graduated in 2017 from Leeds Medical School, and then I did my foundation years, which was two years. I then worked as a locum doctor for one year, and now I'm doing my GP training. So GP training in the UK is three years long, and I'm in my first year of those three years. So I've worked as a doctor for four years now. Okay. And um, I also I also am looking to go into GP training, so... Yes. That's it's, 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 it's the one, honestly, honestly, you, you speak to so many people who even are training in other things like surgical registrars and things who are saying, if I was going back, I would do GP. Like, What's the main reason for that though? Is it the time, the money, the, the just portfolio that you can build? But, so so uh, it's, it's, it's the time, but also it's the fact that it's dog eat dog competitive in this medical and surgical fields that we, you don't realize So even to get into training is difficult. You've got to pass these exams. You've got to get in and do this sort of thing. Once you're in, you can complete your training. But then to get a job as a consultant in that field is not as easy as finding a job as a GP. So even that is difficult. So you're constantly fighting and fighting and fighting to have a job. And it's not easy. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if a lot of people feel like getting into medicine and becoming a doctor is just a... I guess it's good stability as a job, but after a while you you do we we don't really get taught I guess how um, competitive it really gets over time. And I feel like mm. sometimes I just wish we would get a little bit of education about uh, balancing med- uh, medicine and our own lives and trying to figure out mm. what we want to do. I mean, although I or maybe I didn't show up for any of these uh, seminars, but anyway, I just think I feel like. Maybe, you know, this should be taught to medical students a little more and the realities of medicine. Because this is something that I learned from doctors once they start working and then they share it back down. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I I didn't know this at medical school either. I I kind of was under the impression that you finish, you become a doctor and then you automatically get into training. You automatically become a consultant if you keep working. But it doesn't work like that. There's like gates where you need to pass through that gate and hop over these things to get into the next part of training. 
And each one of those, and this is only for competitive specialities, which is a lot of them, not for things like GP, but for things like certain surgeries or certain medical jobs, you've got to go through this bottleneck. And if you're stuck at that bottleneck, you've trained for so long to stay in this like junior role and you can't go through. And what you don't yeah. see is a lot of people that are stuck in that. Yeah, and I, and especially if you don't get that perspective early on, Mm. then I think it's very difficult even during medical school to plan your life. But also this is a good good thing to know even before you apply because I think for a lot of people that do apply for medical school uh, every single year should actually understand what they're getting themselves into. And not in a bad way, but more like just understand that your purpose in life and what you're going to do with it and how you're going to link it to medicine is very important. Yeah, And I think... Yeah. But you, the problem is that you have to decide so early. Um, you're so young when you have to make these decisions because you've got to get good GCSEs to get into medical school. So really at 15 is when you've got to be thinking, I want to go to med school. I need to get good grades. In, in Adam Kay's This Is Gonna Hurt, there's one part where he says, you know, you make this decision two years before you're allowed to tell, send someone a nude picture of yourself. So like you're allowed to send like a new picture at 18, but you've got to make a decision that you want to become a doctor at 16, which he's like, that's the comparison that he makes about it. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. But then, um, but, then that, but then what I was thinking is, I don't know if that means we should be making that decision earlier or if he wants us to be able to send nudes earlier. We're, so, I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume it's a former. Yeah. Just, yeah. just for the sake of it, I'm going to assume it's a former. Um, but I, it, it's right. And, and especially there are a lot of people that have decided that they wanted to go to medicine or their parents have decided that they should go to medicine early on. And that becomes a whole like identity, but yeah. hopefully anyone that goes through it and goes through medical school and then goes to training like you, uh, over time, learn how to pragmatically get through the whole process. And yeah. so for you, um, at, just to just a question. I know it's been a long time since your medical school interview, but um, mm -hmm. why 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 did you decide on applying for medicine? The truth is that I I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, I had I was always quite academic. I liked learning things, and my family was scientific. So my dad was a pharmacist, and my brother was applying for med school, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And like any Asian parents, they push you in the direction of how about applying for medicine? And then I'm, and, and to be honest, I'm, I feel like at the time and still now I'm strong enough to be like, no, I don't want to do that. But I also didn't know what else I wanted to do. So then I was like, I want to go to university. I want to do a degree. Why, why not this degree? So it was never like a deep rooted. I've always wanted to be a doctor. I watched someone die and I thought I could save them. It was, it was just like, more of a practical, I wanted to go to university. I was good at science. I was academic. And my parents were like, why don't you go to med school? And I was like, yeah, yeah, go on then. <laughs> it's so crazy that I think that a lot of people that probably did well in school and were like, hmm, why not? And this might not be the best thing to hear for everyone else about their own doctors. Like you want your doctors to be passionate. But the reality mm. is um, sometimes, yeah, it's one of those things where why not? But then I'm assuming over time that thought has changed. I mean, not mm. that thought. I mean, over time, hopefully you've grown to love it. But why now a GP as opposed to anything else? I mean, I understand about the competition, but you specifically, what do you feel like doing with medicine? 
So specifically about GP training is that the training is shorter and the life when you finish the training is good. I, I enjoy the interaction with people and I enjoy the academics of medicine and I enjoy medicine as a whole. Like I'm 100% glad I did it, no doubt. There's nothing else I would have done that I would have enjoyed more. Um, but doing these nights in the hospital and on calls and stuff is exciting when you're in your 20s, but I don't want to be doing that in my 30s and 40s. And so when I looked at the options, GP was the one that would fit into my lifestyle the best. And when I applied, I was doing loads of comedy shows as well. And I thought that if that is going to be a part of my life, which I kind of want it to be or wanted it to be at the time, then I need to be doing something a bit more vocational like GP, where you can easily drop days or drop sessions. Because there was a period of my life where I was working as a doctor and straight after work, I would drive and do a show and then I would come back. But if it was too far away, I couldn't get there. But it, I, what I was thinking is if I was a GP, I could not do the afternoon session and I could still get to wherever I wanted to go. So that was part of the thinking at the time. Yeah. Okay. We're going we're gonna to get to that comedy show, uh, like the you getting to comedy shows while being a doctor in, in a yeah. bit. But I mm -hmm. just think it, it's, it, is, it is nice to hear that you're balancing things out. Like you understand what you care about and what you actually like outside of medicine. And you're like, okay, I'm still going to plan my life around it. And I'm just happy that to hear someone not completely put that away. Because I think mm -hmm. for our mental health and our well-being, I think for a lot of medical students, it's a reminder to keep doing these other things. You can still be a great student and be a very safe doctor while still doing something on the side. I would uh, actually, I'd, I'd go even further to say I think it makes you better. Mm. Uh, I, I think having the balance in your life makes you better in that you've got a more balanced picture of understanding what life is about. You can be more empathetic towards people because you actually like have life experience and skills. Um, and also it means that when you are in work, you're thinking about work a bit more and you're enjoying work a bit more rather than being like, this is my whole life. This is all that I do. I have to be here. It's like, cause, and, and there's more and more people doing it now. I think the culture's changing. And obviously, you, you know the community because you're in it. And you obviously have your podcast and your YouTube and your photography and your Instagram and everything else going on. But also, you're able to like balance your medicine with that as well. Yeah. And I definitely agree that it definitely gives me a, an escape sometimes. And also, mm. when I've had enough of that, I go back into medicine. So it becomes a nice loop of not medicine is a thing that uh, it's tiring or it's hard. It's like after I'm done with the lighter creative stuff, I'm like, okay, let's get my mind into something more analytical and, and, and more like science process heavy so that it becomes like a nice, like little, little sustainable thing. And, and that's, yes, that's exactly what I've been trying to tell everyone that you need to spread things out. You need to have a diversified interest portfolio so that you can put things together. And so that you become great at one thing, you bring that to work. You, you can even empathize with certain patients just because of the things you love on the side. So, and also you would be surprised at how much the skills for these things overlap as well. So especially with the things that I was doing. So obviously I was at med school, I was doing the comedy. I was, I used to do loads of debating and stuff like that. And I used to host shows. All of this is based on communication. And at medical school, you get taught and hammered in. The, basically, I would say a third of being at medical school is about being able to communicate something to a person and 
being a doctor is probably 50% plus about being able to communicate something with a patient and you're building those skills in other areas and it, it in turn is making you better at, at doing communicating in, in all of these different things. Yeah, and I think a lot of people complain, or at least people complain about their doctors is usually when their doctors are not communicating or not empathizing mm. or not really like being there for them. And a lot mm. of that has to come from our own personality, our ability to speak and to convey uh, this, this, this empathy towards them. But that's something that you have to practice outside of medicine. I mean, you can practice within medicine, but you should be doing it elsewhere as well. And I totally yeah. agree that by focusing on communication and doing other things that helps you with your communication can really make you a better doctor. Or at least, well, for me, I don't know yet. But as a medical student, I think it definitely helps. No, no, yeah. definitely, definitely. And it's also one of these things that you have to train. You have to, there's, you can learn how to communicate better and then you practice and practice and you can train to communicate better. And that's one of the things that I think is probably the best thing that I'm good at. I like, I'm probably not as good at someone else at managing someone who's acutely unwell and dying in A&E, but I think I am very good at being able to very clearly explain something to someone in a way that they understand it and then being able to answer questions properly about it. And I think that is really helpful to have as a skill. And do you think that uh, for any, well, I would say introverts or medical students that are not too comfortable talking, um, mm. do, do you think there's anything they could do to feel more comfortable with patients? That's a really good question. I would Take say that, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, so I would say that the the first thing is it depends on the conversation that you're having. So depending on the conversation you have, there's a different framework that you use for that conversation. So if it's explaining a procedure that's different to breaking bad news, which is different to, you know, explaining investigations to a patient. So they're all different things and that it's useful to know the framework for these things. Like the framework for breaking bad news is useful to have in your mind for when you do that, but then there's no replacement for just practicing it. So, and that doesn't have to be with a patient. It can be with your friends. So like you do OSCEs at medical school, just practicing again and again and again and again about explaining something that when you go to explain that to an actual person, you'll, you'll have the framework in your mind and you can speak to them and have sort of a bit of a structure and it makes them feel like you know exactly what you're talking about because you've covered so many areas. So even if it's messy, if you've got a structure, then, you know, it'll look clean to a person. Yeah. And, and yes, most, pe most people won't tell the difference. And if you feel confident doing it, uh, it, it will show. And I, yeah. I, you're right. I think this is a practice over and over again. But to, to, to just go back to what you said earlier about um, you actually having extracurricular activities during medical school mm. that has helped you as well. Um, how did you get into comedy itself? So <clears throat> actual comedy, I probably started in my second or third year, but it kind of started before that in that there were some shows. So I was part of these Asian societies where I did like some charity fashion shows and stuff like that. And there was auditions to host the show, this talent show. And I auditioned to host it and I got the part. And so I was writing a script for um, 
this show and I would write a script for what I was going to say in between the bits and I was trying to make it funny, basically. And the show went really well and someone said to me, those bits you could put together and it could be its own thing. You don't need to be in this show. So then I put those bits together and that ended up being the crux of my first comedy set. And then I put that together, did a comedy set, uh, got seen by someone from the Comedy Society who was like, come and join the Comedy Society. It was like this tiny dingy room above a pub that I did it in to about like 15 people, 10 of which I brought there. But you're still shitting yourself. You're you're absolutely terrified. And then I joined the Stand-Up Society. So I did loads more shows with them, student shows. I did improv. I did sketch. So I was doing loads of comedy and I was like, it was, I was living and breathing it at university. And then I got to a point where I got offered to do some shows outside of university. Uh, and then I did them short sets. When you start off, you only do 10 minute, five minute sets to begin with. And then when you've got enough material, you can make it a 10 minute set. Is that type and five? Then type five. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's, okay. that's what people say. Right. Type five. Yeah. No, but yeah. you know what? Even if you've been doing comedy for for five years regularly, you still need a type five because when you go into the big clubs, they're not going to give you a 20 minute. They're not going to say, oh, you've done really well. I have a 20 minute spot at the comedy store. It doesn't work like that. You have to do five minutes on a Thursday. Thursday is like the, the crap night. Yeah, because like th- people don't go out on Thursday. Like Thursday, people are weird. Who, who goes out on a Thursday? Yeah. So and I remember that like even in clubs, like Thursday had the cheapest drinks because I guess no one went out. But that's yeah, it. Okay. That's it. So that's you're doing it. it to like a smaller audience to people who are probably working the next day. So, th- so you've got to do a really tight five on a Thursday and then you graduate to a, th- to a Friday and maybe you'll get five then. And then maybe you'll get a 10 and then maybe you'll get a 15 and then maybe you'll get to the Saturday. So you like incrementally will get better and better and you can't go back to a club for another six months usually. So this whole process takes years to get into these places. And so because I'd started when I was at university and I was doing loads of shows, I was slowly getting into these clubs. And then when I became a doctor is when it started properly taking off and both Mm. were going on at the same time. So, but I can't imagine. So how did you... At that point of time, I guess you could have made a decision that, no, I'm going to focus on being a doctor and I'm going to work... But I guess you've just you decided, okay, so this is working, so I'm going to keep going at it, right? And how what went through your mind, or what kind of fears did you have when you decided I was going to balance the two? So I, I was kind of in the opposite mindset because I enjoyed medicine, but I knew it was always going to be there. And I was getting such traction on the comedy scene at that time, not now, but at that time, because I was doing so many shows, I was kept on writing material, I kept on performing material, that I was thinking, why don't I not do F1? Why don't I just take a year out to see how good I could get at comedy? But then I kind of, I I didn't want to take the risk because obviously it is high risk. And I thought maybe I could do both at the same time and try and make some success of it. But then I discovered when I was doing both at the same time that it it was really difficult. Um, 
it was it was really busy. It's not like YouTube where where YouTube is really busy. Don't don't get me wrong, but YouTube you can do in your own time. If I've got a day off, I can spend the day writing, editing, filming, whatever. If I have a day off in comedy, that's kind of useless to me because obviously I can write, but at the same time the shows are going to be in the evenings. So the shows aren't on yep. my time. The shows are on their time. So in that way, it's it was much more difficult to balance the time. And because it's in the evening, it has to be after work. And if I'm doing an on-call long day, I can't do a show. If I'm doing a night shift, I can't do any shows. So you can't plan far enough in advance because I don't have my rotor either. So there was a few things that made it really difficult and that although I was still getting the big shows, the traction was slowing because of some some of those hurdles. Right. And... I think it's I think it's very interesting that you, you you thought, okay, let's seize the opportunity because I think it's also a risk that a lot of people won't take for themselves and also after doing five years, taking a break on something else might be quite difficult. But it, did you have any fears of like how it was gonna affect your F one by continuing? Because I feel like a lot of people are, you know, fear that first year jobs or how other people think when they're doing something separate on the side. As in, do you mean the attitudes from other people or, or how would yeah, make me so feel? Just, just attitudes from, I'm, I'm sure you would have been a competent doctor regardless, mm. but just the attitudes mm. of other people, yeah. So I think you have to, yeah, you have to, the balance has to be that medicine is your job and if it's making you tired or not perform as well, obviously that you, you can't do that. You, you, that is your job. Uh, but, and there's a line of professionalism that you have to, stay within as well. So other people can say whatever they want. You as a medical professional cannot say whatever you want. You, you, can, you can say slightly controversial things, but you have to be within a little boundary. And generally people were quite supportive of it. I think people, it's an unusual hobby to have and people were more interested in it than they were criticizing it. And often the first question would be, when are you next on? When can we come to a show? And I had my one of my consultants when I was in F2 come to the, a show I did at the comedy store in Manchester with his son, and he loved it. Uh, yeah. And I've had that, groups of friends coming. That's such a great validation as well. I mean, also just making sure that everything balances out. But um, did you ever feel that you were restricted by your material because of your career as a doctor? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I definitely. And you have to be really careful with anything you're doing as a doctor. So both on stage, but also on the internet as well. So, so many people on Instagram or on YouTube at the moment, so many new medics in the past year or two, and mm. you just have to be really, really careful. Um, because the people complain, people like to complain. That's a hobby of people's. And every little thing you do, they'll they'll find something to complain about. Uh, and I know when um, Ali Abdal made a video about how he uses his iPad as a doctor and someone complained yep. that he yep. doesn't take clinical governance seriously enough and the hospital that he had to pull it down. To his thing. Yeah. yeah, so he so he had to take it down and re-edit it and he didn't get in serious trouble for it. But at the same time, you can get in trouble for these things. So you have to be very careful. But I think at the same time, you just think if in a week's time, am I going to look at this and regret 
this? And if the answer is no, then probably what you're doing is fine. Unless you have very bad judgment. I love that you, there was a little pause before you said that. Yeah. Yeah. No, because and, and, I think, I think, yeah. Okay. People should have good judgment, but that doesn't mean that we all have good judgment. That's, that's the reality of life. So anyway, I just wanted to add that in to anyone unless, who's listening. Unless, and, unless you're just a bit of a person with loose morals to begin with. Which, hey, you never know, man. I mean, like, I'm not judging. I'm just saying, like, you should just you know, be aware. But, um, also, I gotta ask. Um, so, who's your favorite um, stand-up comedian, or like top three? Top three. So, I'm growing up, and you would know this as well. Is that everyone used to watch Russell Peters? Yeah, of course. Everyone. So, Russell oh, Peters you know, was like. Can I just? I just want to add before I just want to cut okay. in. I was, I was, I was YouTubing. I was checking you out uh, uh, at some mm. point, and like your first related channel is Russell Peters. For some reason, it's it? YouTube relates you to Russell Peters, yeah. Does it? I mean, that is, I mean, that's my claim to fame, so. Yeah, that's it. So you're like YouTube algorithm thinks that you're kind of like Russell Peters. If you like Kieran, then you like Russell Peters, yeah. Right. I hope it works yeah. the other way around and people search Russell Peters and I'm the second it's one just down. You. Yeah, 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 just you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's like so, yeah. the, the OG, the OG of like Indian comics. Uh, I've seen him uh on on tour a few times quite a few times probably five or six times and he's obviously amazing in terms of nowadays the in my f3 year i did a comedy tour with some of the big asian comics and i think that some of those are going to be absolutely huge so there's there was one guy who is really funny called uh ishan akbar Okay. Um, so he's a bit of a, he's like a, like a, I say newer, he's been still been doing it for a number of years, newer Asian comic now getting on mock the week and radio four and, and that sort of stuff. But he's really good. Um, I really like the kind of dry humor of Josh Widdicombe. If you know him. Okay. No. So he's, he's on like the last leg and he's on the, like these other TV, ch- these other panel shows. I think, and I think honestly, also, unless, Unless they're huge and American, uh, unfortunately, I, it doesn't hit the radar for me okay, at fine. least. But I'm sure. But I, please name them out so that I can check them out. Anyone listening, can go check them out as well. Okay, fine. So they yeah. don't get validation in your book unless they've got a Netflix special. No, no, no. That's is... not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is <laughs> no, that I'm, joking, I, I'm not I'm saying joking. that. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is that you know, I think I grew up on American uh, stand-up yeah. also than British stand-up, so. But yeah. yeah, anyway, yeah. saying. Well, wait, so who, who's your favorite comedian? Who would you pick? Oh, it's very you tough. You say like Dave Chappelle, Kevin Hart, people like that. That's, what do you mean people like that? Well, Lou, are you Lou, saying that's too Lou, mainstream? Or is that Lou, like a... Lou, Louis C.K.? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I think for me, um, I enjoy Bill Burr's frankness. Yeah, and I like the delivery of just like here's something that you might find offensive, uh, take it, and within the context of comedy itself, and he definitely is offensive in many ways, and I find that of course mm. certain things go across the line, but it's a line that I've drawn. So somebody else obviously yeah. would draw a line at a different point and say that oh he's very uh, sexist or he's racist, whatever. Which I don't, 
I, I can see how it is, but at the same yeah. time, when you look at it in a comedy sense, or you look at like when you look at art inside a museum, that's the context. So when you see a comedian on stage, there's a different art context to it than if I saw someone saying the same thing on the street to random people, right? Yeah, and yeah. so that's why I just love Bill Burr's just general like uh, vibe and out there. Uh, I think to do to do what Bill Burr does, you have to be really funny. You can't make that level of offense without being that funny. If you if you make that level of offense and you're not funny, you're just offensive. So you have to make it really really funny to to basically validate and allow the offense that he gives. Is what I think. And, but do you think that's a do you think that's linked to white privilege at all? And not to be thrown out. Like, do you think that it's a bit harder when you're minority, or do you think it's easier to get uh, away I, with I it? Actually, I, I think it's probably easier to get away with it. I, I think it's okay. easier. But so the, there's this idea in comedy called punching down. So mm. I've, I don't know if you've heard of this. No. So the idea, yeah. the idea is that there's an unofficial hierarchy of people who are privileged, so w- with white people probably being at the top and brown people and black people being below that. And you shouldn't, in your comedy, be punching down. So you can't make jokes about the people in the groups below you. So I can make jokes about... I. This is a, a principle and not something I'm saying I agree with. But the principle no, is no, yeah. you, can, yeah. you can make... I could make jokes about white people and I could make jokes about um, Asian people and but I couldn't make jokes about poor people because that's punching down. Yep. So do, 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 do you get that idea? Whereas white people can't make jokes about anyone below them because that's considered punching down. And generally that doesn't go down very well. So yeah, but white male, straight white male would have the hardest, technically the hardest time, even though there are many straight white males that do get away with punching down. Uh, yeah. It's just that you have to be very funny. Yeah. You've got to be very funny and you, yeah. you've got to be careful with it. And it, it is easier for that. I think it's changing now, but traditionally it was a lot easier for them to get on TV shows. So do you think it's changing now because, okay, with cancel culture and people actually finding a way to, to take down comedians. And mm-hmm. I think cancel culture, as in, in terms of more of jokes, like if they've clearly done something wrong, like any form of harassment or assault, that's to me not even cancer culture. That's just a crime, if anything. Mm. Uh, but if we're talking about just jokes, and let's say someone yeah. makes a something that would have flown maybe ten years ago, but it doesn't now. Um, how do you think that changes comedy as an art? Because it, it, if it was built in the in the comedy show in the in the in you know an underground audience of maybe fifty people, like, and it just stayed there without people recording it, then it's mm. it's the art within that thing. But how do yeah. you think it changes it when it goes on Netflix or even so, YouTube? I, I think it's, it's the context which you were talking about before. So the context is that at the time, that was a thing that people did and said. And at the time, that was something that people found funny. It doesn't mean that you can go and tell that same joke now. But I also think it means that you shouldn't have to then apologize for something you did back then that was widely accepted. So that's, what, that's where I stand on it. With the diversity thing, the reason I think it's changing, just to go back to something we were talking about before, is that now it's not necessarily that people want it to change. It's that there are specific quotas that make it have to change, which are like, we have to have someone of colour on a panel show. We have to have 
a woman on a panel show, that sort of thing is is making these things change, which is why we're seeing way more. There's a big drive of them. I, I, I used to get messages a couple of years ago saying, Channel 4 are looking for Asian people to be on these shows, audition for yeah. them, basically. So there's yeah. an active drive of them looking for these people. I got an offer. I just, uh, it's a silly one, but I just didn't have time for it to say, Channel 4 are looking for a sitcom about this written by a young Asian person. Could you write a sitcom? And so they even want a saying, writer to be of, of color and they want specific. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. No, it's good, but it's just, it's interesting how, okay. So, so for some people it'd be like, oh, finally, but for others, I mean, okay, this is a great opportunity. And it, it is, there's so many people gaining in a great way. There's also definitely a lot of people losing. Uh, we can't mm-hmm. say, we can't say nobody's losing. Uh, but it is, it is what it is. But in terms of just like, I don't know, it's, 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 yeah. So I just, on reflection is like the jokes I used to listen to years ago. Like sometimes I'll watch TV shows now, uh, even like how many mother or friends or, uh, just back then things that I used to laugh at. I, I look at it now and I feel a little bit kind of like closed up when I laugh. And I feel like, is that because I changed or is it because I don't want to laugh because I'm not supposed to, or like, I, I'm just thinking like, what is it? Or have I lived enough of my life to say, no, this is not a good thing to say. Cause I've seen people, you know, feel oppressed over it. You know, I, I just yeah. can't figure it out. But like, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. mean, I, I think the culture is changing and some things that were allowed then or not you you feel bad about now. I think it's rather than you changing, it's the attitudes of people changing and your attitude changing, but so subtly over time that it's not like one day this is allowed and the next day it's not. It's like a slow thing that happens over time and then you look back at something and you think, is is that okay to say? And it's so subjective as well, isn't it? It's subjective to who's saying it, who's listening to it, so. Yes, definitely. Um, but in terms of your comedy now, I mean, I, I guess you haven't been able to do it in the last year, technically, right? No. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm in quite a fortunate position in that I did, I never relied on it for income. Hmm. So people who need to do comedy to earn money to live, it's been a really tough time for, because obviously there's been no proper shows, just these weird Zoom shows or drive-in shows or that sort of thing, yeah. which I, I, and I never felt like I needed to do that uh, because I've got a, a job. So I haven't done any shows since tw- end, end of 2019 now, because yeah. I, was, I was away on holiday as well in my F3 for a bit. So I did a tour. The last thing I did is I did a tour. I finished the tour. I went away on holiday for for three, four months, came back and then COVID hit. And since then I haven't done anything. And that is why I started the YouTube channel is because I had all of a sudden so much free time and an output that I thought, where do I go with this? And where did you want to go with this? With the the YouTube channel? Yeah. At the time I was, at the time... (laughs) At the time, I was thinking, if instead of building an audience by traveling around and doing these shows, if I could do it from making videos, and then I got enough of an audience to then be able to tour straight out, 
So to be mm. able to book theatres and tour and do something like Stephen Fry does, it doesn't have to be yep. stand-up comedy. It's a mixture of speaking and, and comedy and a few different things. If I could do that, that's something I'd love to do. And I think, and is that, so was that really on your mind when you, so when you started uh, early 2020, right? Was it early 2020? And I think your first yeah, few videos uh, were- Yeah, early 2020, 2020 with travel videos or at least yeah. the travel videos that are on right now uh, that you yeah. have a few and then slowly i see it, it was a transition to uh talking about medicine and health at the time and a little bit about coronavirus uh how it's affecting uh, minorities and that's how you i think that's how you were coming in but mm. i guess it wasn't that much comedy at the beginning right no. it was a bit no, more it was no. more medicine it was you trying to just get on camera and talk about something that you knew very well. So that that's pretty much, you got it spot on. The, the path you've talked about is pretty much exactly how it went. So I just come back from a really long F3 holiday. I had loads of footage that I wanted to make some travel videos with. So I made them and I was like, well, I may as well put these on YouTube. I started putting them on YouTube and then I'd made one pretty much for most of the countries we'd been to. And I thought, well, where can I go with this? I'm no longer traveling. I used a lot of my good footage, like where, where can this go? And because at the time I never watched medical YouTubers, I'd, ne I'd never even heard of most of these guys. I watched travel vloggers and I, I loved watching travel vloggers where they take you around a place, they show you, and I was just dreaming about my next holiday. So I thought I want to do that. But then I ran out of footage and ideas and I was like, where am I, what can I do that I will be able to sustain? And it was yeah. the, the medical stuff, right? Because that is the, the, I went to med school for five years. I work as a doctor. That is like an unlimited source of content. And yeah. that's when I started making videos where I thought maybe I can tell people about their health. And then as I was making them, I found the medical community, which is different to making videos about your health. It's making videos about what a med student does or what a doctor does and that sort of thing. And you, you know what I'm talking about because you're in the community. Uh, and then I thought there's the longevity is in that. Uh, and it's clearly something that people want to watch because there's loads of people that are so popular. And that's where... But ultimately, when I was making even the travel videos and even these other ones, it was about trying to build an audience that I could perform a show to eventually, initially. Even though it wasn't about comedy, I thought build an audience that people will come and watch a show but now it's yeah. slightly changed but that was their thought initially yeah but i mean i think i think did you start your tiktok after youtube or was that around the same time after way after i only started my tiktok in <clears throat> must have been october november um because so cause that looks that looks like a very good platform for you at least yeah. for getting out good information and also being funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so that and my Instagram are, were initially adjuncts to the YouTube. I thought I've got mm. a YouTube channel. What other things can I do so that people will, I can engage with people like chat to people who are enjoying the YouTube channel, but also maybe point people towards the YouTube channel who maybe are not watching it already. And so I made the Instagram account. It's really difficult to get followers on Instagram. And then uh, 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 so I think my little cousin was on TikTok who said, you know, why don't you try TikTok? It's, it's really yep. easy to get views. And 
my first couple of videos started getting more views than I was getting on Instagram. And then all of a sudden there was videos getting hundreds of thousand views. I had a video that got a million views. And then within a month I was on 10,000 followers or, or something like that. And yeah. then it just, it was just going up so fast, but it, it's basically what I imagine YouTube was like at the very beginning where there's so, there's not enough people on the platform so that if you put something out, it's being shown on the explore page in front of so many more people. Yeah. And what Instagram probably was like before was yeah. now there's so many people on there that it's so difficult to get on those explore pages. Yeah, but, and also the fact that you, your, I think your type of content fit really well for the type of people watching and also the resources mm. that TikTok had, that very quick, yeah. uh, just the cuts and, and, and the comedy. And basically, I think your, your, your delivery was just like, it was a matter of fact, like, mm. this is what I do today. And you're not even trying to make a, like, you're probably trying to make a joke, but you're not saying it like you're trying to make a joke, which I thought was perfect. Because that's a kind of like, I love deadpan humor. And I just love it when it's like the, the person saying it has not even laughed or broken anything, but you're there dying. And I, yeah. and I love that. And, and I thought some of your videos, especially on TikTok, were definitely hitting the right spot. And, and it was good that you went into that. But, it, yes. you know, on, on that very quickly. So Steve yeah. Martin has a book. If anyone's interested in comedy, Steve Martin has a book called Born Standing Up about his life when he was a comic because he was basically one of the most successful comedians of all time. And what you've described is basically building a laugh. So not allowing people to laugh, but they're laughing inside. So you build it up and up and up. So by the end of it, you get a bigger laugh than you would lots of little laughs. Mm, so yes, so that's yeah. that's an act, that's an actual technique that people use to get big, to get people to laugh more. Sorry to interrupt you, what you're saying. You can carry no, on. No, no, no. And do you watch SNL? Uh, occasionally, uh, occasionally. So I just I like sketch humor as well, and I also love the fact that you build up the the story. And I guess if you have five minutes, you have one minute to set up the thing, and then four minutes to slowly build up. It's also with Key and Peel, and even the Chappelle show. Key back and Peele, I, I, I love Key Chappelle and show was faster, but Key and Peel was a real nice build up. Like it was very smooth, and then like at the end, you're just like it's like hitting you so quickly that you're like, oh, this is, yeah, it's it's yeah. So that's great, and I think and for your YouTube. Um, I think then after a while you transition to, well, one thing I got to ask, you changed your name on YouTube. Mm. Uh, I guess it was a rebranding and you decided you were another Indian doctor, mm. which you, I guess you are out of all of us, just another one. Uh, but then you changed it to your name. Was there a reason why you decided, no, I'm just going to keep my name? Yeah. I'll tell you in a second. What, what did you think about the name and the name change? Uh, I think it was a very good idea. And I think your name, I think initially, like, it, it told me exactly what you're doing. So I didn't have to, like, I, it, branding wise, I knew exactly what you're doing. When I saw another Indian doctor, I knew what was going to happen. Uh, or at least I thought I knew. And now I think it's good to have your name because it's the most unique thing that you have mm. to you. And then you put your personality on, personality on it. And because I'm the one, I also put my name everywhere. And a lot of my friends also just put their names everywhere. So I, I, that's what I recommend. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so pretty much, pretty much similar to what you said is that the reason I chose that name initially, so it's called, bear in mind, it was called something else at the beginning. So I've changed it twice. So at the very beginning, yeah. because it was a travel page, it was doctor on holiday. 
And then it was no yeah. longer a travel page, so I changed it to another Indian doctor, which, which a lot of people knew it as. And I thought that name was good because it, t- it, is, it tells you that it's a channel about doctor. It tells you that I'm brown. It also is kind of funny about how there's so many Asian doctors. So I thought there was a lot yeah. to get from that, from that name. And, but so many other people had their names as their YouTube channels. And I thought I kind of wanted to create a personal brand. And I was thinking about it for ages. And then I started making a video two months ago that I am still making, which is um, basically a video where I try and get as many of the big medical YouTubers in one video as I can. And this video is, is, I'm still in the process of making it. And I pretty much talked to everyone now, Ali, Abdal, Common Medic, like most people. And I had a conversation with Rowan Francis and he, he's the one who said, if I could give you one piece of advice, it would be to change that name. He said, you're going to box yourself in later on to people thinking you just make content about medicine or just make content about desi things. And if you want to expand from that, it's going to be more difficult for you. So I would change it. And because I was thinking about it, I just, that, that next day, I changed it. Yeah. I, I think it was a great idea. And I think a lot of people definitely, uh, when you when you learn a little bit about branding at the beginning, you want to be very specific and you want to make it very easy for people to understand who you are. But I think mm. as a personal brand, exactly. And you do more than one thing. So anyone who's doing a few things, I mean, you might as well just use your name. Unless, of yeah. course, your name is super common, uh, <laughs> then that might be a little bit difficult. But our then, names then, are... Then, then just get a new name. Then, you know... Yeah, for the brand, I'm, yeah, obviously, I mean, it's worth it. Uh, um, but then, okay, so then, then, uh, but then I think, so over time, I think, uh, so you went, the, the quality of your videos, uh, they, I think they upgraded really quickly. I think somewhere around four months ago, you just, like, a lot of things got upgraded. And if you haven't mm-hmm. watched, I mean, can you just tell everyone now, who's if anyone's still listening at this point, uh, where they can, how they can find you on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Sure. So this I very am, day. Yeah. and so at, on this very day, I am yeah. Kiran Majaria on YouTube and yeah. I am still at another Indian doctor on TikTok and on uh, Instagram, but I'm probably going to change those at some point. The reason I haven't changed them is because the name Kiran Majaria is already taken. So I'm uh, just trying to work. I'm trying to work out what to change it to. That's not that. Uh, so I'm, I'm in the process of, of changing it. But if you do want to find me, I am uh, Kieran Majaria on, on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, I will put the link below. But if you're listening okay. to this on a podcast, you can go Google him. You can find me and you can find this. You can find him. Just but, uh, on, uh, on, Do on, check on, out the videos. On that, good luck spelling my surname if you're listening to this. Okay, can you just say spell, spell your surname? <laughs> it's fine. No, wait, it's your fine. surname is in the your surname is in the title of this video. So just it'll look be at the, the title, title of the video. video. Go on YouTube, find yeah. find Aaron's video, and you'll you'll get it from there. So, and okay, so here's the thing: mm. you're working as a full time doctor, okay, and mm-hmm. you're putting and you have nights and you're putting in work and you're also putting out two videos a week. So many people already find putting one video a week so difficult. Mm. How are you doing everything all at the same time? Uh, 
So uh, the first thing is that I was doing way more before. When I was doing stand-up comedy, it was more difficult than producing two videos a week, which I can do in my own time. Uh, and I just plan really far in advance. So I don't know what video is coming out each week, but I know I have to have videos that are made. And my ideas list of videos, when you're writing comedy, it's the same as writing ideas for videos. Anytime you think, could that be a video? I write it down. And this list has got at least 300 video ideas on, on Notion. And they're, they're absolutely, most of them are terrible. Most of them are absolute trash. But some of them yeah. could could be good videos or could kind of be similar to a good video. And then it'll be a time where I think it's time to film and I batch film. So I'll batch film three or four videos, maybe five if I'm feeling a bit adventurous that day. So yeah. I'll look through my list. I'll, I'll have a session. Let's say I've got a day off. In the morning, I'll look through the list. I will pick the four or five videos that I want to make that day. I will sit down and not leave until I've written those videos. And then I will film those videos. It doesn't take long to film a video for, well, I, for, yeah. for me. For, so for, to film a 10 minute video takes me maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And it's useful because my camera cuts out at about 23, 24 minutes. So I will always try and try and fit it in that time. So then I'll spend the afternoon, um, filming the videos but the most difficult bit is editing the videos and so quite early on I've outsourced some but not all of the editing mm. and you know how in programming if you want to make an app you might get someone else to do a lot of the back-end stuff and then if you know how to code something you might do the front to make it look nice yeah. I do something similar with my editing in that if it's a talking head video, I'll get an editor to cut the B-roll uh, and then I will add the music and the A-roll later. That doesn't take much time. Yep. But if they can go through and take the bits that, that take the most time, if they can do that, then a lot of my job is done. And then yep. the other thing is to, to keep me both skilled and also in the creative process, if it's a video that I think I need need to edit myself i'll just edit it myself so for example if it's a day in the life video i know how that's meant to go so it's very difficult to explain that to someone else yeah of course but yeah. if it's me talking about how you plan an fy3 year they know how to cut ums and ahs out they know how to zoom in and out properly and all of that sort of stuff yep. so outsourcing video editing saved me at least five hours a week yep um and but having more than one editor so i've got a backup and another backup so that if someone's too busy the idea i had in my head is that at any one time they should always have a video to edit always if they've got video to edit someone is editing videos while i'm asleep yep and that's yep. what i've been rolling with and i do two videos a week and i've got the videos ready and edited for the next three weeks and I think it shows because your growth is getting faster and faster. I think it took a long time to get to, not a long time, but it took a while to get to a thousand. Yeah. But then the next thousand happened in much, like was much quicker. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly what it said. So the, the first hundred took me 60 days, but then 1,000 to 2,000 took 40 days. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. That, that, that shows how much it grows. But then outsourcing also the thumbnails, because that, that takes me time as well. 
but it's not expensive. People think outsourcing is really expensive. Uh, the other thing I'm not afraid of is I, if I see something I like, I will ask, how did you do that? So I saw yep. someone with thumbnails that I really liked and I said, who is a smaller YouTuber, so he's probably not paying a lot. So I said to him, how do you do that? And he said, oh, I use this guy. Feel free to use him as well. And I used the same guy to do some of the thumbnails. Yeah, and I, I just think that, well, a lot of people might think that they don't have the time, but it's like, if you care about something, I mean, spending mm -hmm. a little bit of money and investing in yourself and your content is a great idea. Or you're just overwhelmed. And then yeah. your content doesn't turn out well, and then you get out of the loop. But setting some money aside, I think is really great. Because I don't, I think most of my friends still do everything on their own, I think. Mm. Um, mm. But especially you're working, so you're not studying. So yeah. it makes sense for anyone in medical school or doing anything that if you're going to start working and you want to continue creating content, you should consider putting some money aside and getting other people to do some of the work that you don't have to. Yeah. And also it's, it's an investment. It's not lost money. The way I look at it is that it's an investment um, in future gains. Yeah, there's definitely future earnings to it. And like, if you plan it, if you're just doing it for yourself and you're for, for fun, then please keep doing that. But if you think that you can make some money off it, or you think that it's going to promote you to do something else, or even if mm. it makes you a better person, like if you're learning how to, if every single video is helping you learn and be a better person, I think it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And also, I, I earn from the TikTok Creator Fund as well. So that pays for my editor pretty much. How does that work? What so is the, once you, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I didn't even know it was a thing, bear in mind. So when I started TikTok, but uh, if you have over, I think it's 10,000 followers, then you are part of the creator fund. And after that point, any views you get, you get paid for. I don't, I have no idea how it works. And some days I'll get 10 pounds. Some days I'll get two pounds. Mm. But every day I'll, I'll earn a little bit of money from this, usually between three and five pounds a day. Uh, yeah. But even if you don't post videos, so that's the nice thing about it is that even if you don't post videos, you're still earning a little bit of money every day. So the way I look at it is either that pays for a coffee every day, or if I don't get the coffee, then it pays for my video editor for YouTube. Yeah. And, and I think this is a very nice way to look at it where it's not about getting big and making a lot of money yet. It's about like, how do I make a little bit now to pay for something that will make mm -hmm. my day a little bit better or make it a little easier. And then you slowly move on from there. Because I think there's a lot of yeah. creative burnout when you look too far ahead and you're like, I need to, I need to be like that creator who's making this amount of money. And like, what is two to five pounds a day? Well, it is something, it, it is more than what you had before. So it's like, yeah. if you have a better mindset towards it, I think that would really help a lot of people. And, and I, I think, think the other great. thing that is, that's really difficult that I've touched on that you've also talked about as well is that especially on something like YouTube where you have a metric like subscribers to measure growth, it's easy to look up people who are growing faster, uh, who make, who are in the same field as you and feel inadequate because they're, they are, th there's a creator who started not long before me, who's now on a couple hundred thousand subscribers, mm. but it just now I've got to a point where it just doesn't bother me at all. And I'm actually happy that other people are doing well. It shows that if you put in the hard work, you can do well. But I understand that it's 
people look at that and think, what's the point? I'm doing this, not getting anywhere. This guy is doing so well, what's the point? And that's the attitude that a lot of people have that makes it difficult for them to keep making the content. But how do you actually get rid of that feeling? Because it's so natural to so many of us. What is running through your mind to block out that feeling? So I would say that, I would say one of the main things is going back to the reason that you do it in the first place and the benefit you get from it. So the benefit you get from that as a creative output is 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 good in my opinion like i enjoy the process of making these things and i already have gained things from doing it i've gained skills i've made friends i've done other things that are not necessarily gaining subscribers that's the first thing and the second thing is you can look at the person that has got a hundred times the number of subscribers you have in the same period of time but what about the people that have not grown as fast in that you always will focus on that person that's doing much better, but not consider that people are working just as hard as you who are not doing as well. So it's trying to have a bit more of a balanced picture and then also trying to appreciate other things that are not necessarily that one metric of success. Yeah, and hopefully things that you can actually have control over, which is what you said. Yeah. Building a community and doing things... what, what, what's, what, what, so that, you know, how would you get over that? Because you talk about this a little bit as well. What, what would you say about getting over that in particular? Comparison. Yeah, so comparing yourself to someone. Um, yeah, so the one thing I say very often is that I very heavily focus on the people that benefit from my work. So mm. uh, I know that even if there are three people benefiting from my work, I need to be happy about that. And by mm. constantly focusing on three, 10, 20 people that, that like what I do and also it changes their lives in some very small way, that's enough. And the point is yeah. to keep focusing on that so that your, your mind doesn't sway to uh, someone else that's helping 100,000 people. And I, I think my mind still sways sometimes from time to time. But again, it's all about knowing what to look at not about knowing what not to look at. Like that's, mm. you can't prevent looking away, but you can keep focusing on the few people. Mm. So that, that's kind of how I do it. And even with these podcasts, uh, that's, that's the, the number one priority here for me is to learn something from you because that's what mm. I can control. If no one listens to this or no one sees this video, I gain something from it when I end, end the recording. I'm done. Mm. I go, I, I start my day. I'm happy with this video. So that's number one priority. Number two is having one other person gain from something that you've talked about, or I've talked about today. And I'm quite mm. sure one other person would gain. And that's how I build it up because that's the only things I can control. That's, yeah. That's, that's nice, I man. I like that. I like that. Focus on the few. Yeah. And the few will become more, but you need to just focus on what you have. So that's, that's kind of it. But I think... To kind of wrap it up, and I think one thing that's very important that a lot of people might actually struggle with when it comes to getting onto YouTube or putting themselves out there in general is their confidence. And I feel that you do have a good amount of confidence that you may have built up over the years, or maybe generally you have a good amount of confidence. What kind of advice would you give people that aren't too secure about putting themselves out there, even though they care about something? I... 
I think that it's something that no one has immediately. And it's easy to look at people who've been on YouTube that you admire and be like, I can't do what that person is doing. They talk so comfortably in front of the camera. But what you have to realize is that at the beginning, probably they weren't because no one is used to speaking to a camera lens the first time they speak to a camera lens. So once you appreciate that everyone had to start from somewhere, I think it's, you just need to start and the confidence will grow. There's nothing magic that you can do to all of a sudden make yourself more confident. And that's, there's no waiting to get that better camera that's going to make things better. It's about starting now and knowing that your confidence will grow as you keep making videos. Even if you made videos and kept them unlisted or made them private, just the process of making those videos and speaking to a camera is going to increase your confidence in doing that. And then maybe you'll get to a point where you feel, actually, I'm happy to upload these and you can make them public. But going through the motions and the process and talking is what I think. And I think unlike Instagram and and maybe TikTok, I'm not sure, but you're right. Just making the video and then just uploading it and unlisting them and keep going until the day you decided this is the video that goes public. I think that's a great mm. thought for every single person because you just have to do it. And if you're just mm. afraid to do it, then that's a whole other issue that you have to deal with. But if you're afraid of people seeing it, then fine, fair enough. Make it and put it up and make a whole, keep going until you feel like public, uh, making one of them public. It's pretty good, man. But I, I, it, it's easy to delay it because of a thing as well. This is what I did initially is I was like, I can't start yet. I don't have a microphone. Or I don't have this, but it's about just using what you have to start doing it and then refining the process later. pretty good i think that's if you're listening to this then you're not inspired i don't know i don't know what to say <laughs> i don't know what else to add Nah, this was good but but yeah no thank you thank you for uh talking to me for this last hour and uh and and you know adding to oh, my you're content welcome, man i i i've i've <laughs> adding to your content i've had a lot yeah. of fun man it was, it was nice to get to know each other a little bit as well to have a proper chat this is the first time we've properly talked face to face and not over over instagram or whatsapp so that was nice exactly because just i mean it's good to build all these communities where it's good to actually have a conversation and like i said the fact that i can make content out of it is a whole yeah. other level that, <laughs> that you gotta you gotta use whatever you can so really appreciate it and uh I'll see you later.